MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations. Imagine that you keep changing the passwords for your bank accounts and credit cards, but hackers come back again and again to loot your cash and savings. Not only that, but they steal your identity and buy themselves a luxury trip to Paris. Well, maybe something like that did happen to you. Hi, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. My guest this week is Michael Mestrovich, the former director of the CIA's Technical Services Office, as well as Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer for the U.S. Department of State. Mestrovich, all too genial for a man with such grave responsibilities, left the government a few years ago as a member of the Senior Intelligence Service. Today, he's on the private side of the cyber war world as Chief Information Security Officer for Rubric, a firm that helps corporations and other entities prepare for and deal with hostile cyber intrusions like ransomware attacks, essentially terrorist-style shakedowns for immense amounts of money. With no relenting in such attacks, witness the recent hits on Las Vegas casinos and hotel complexes, and a China-based breach of senior U.S. officials' emails, including those of Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, I figured it was time to check in on the dark world of the cyber warriors. Mike Mestrovich, welcome to Spy Talk. What are the chances that right now, as we're talking, there's a major cyber intrusion into a major government agency or corporate entity like a bank or a casino? like recently happened. What's the chance of that happening right now? Well, I, I think the chances are probably pretty high. I'm sure that we'll hear about it several you know, weeks or potentially months down the road. Do you know of any going on right now? Uh, I mean, I only know of things that have been reported in the news. As, as you referenced, uh, both Caesars and MGM uh, reported cyber incursions uh, over the course of the last week or so. So the, those are probably the most uh, the ones that are most recently in the news. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, this summer, uh, the Commerce Department, the State Department were hacked by the, allegedly by the Chinese. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know if that was a government entity or not. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that question of uh, the connection between Chinese government and Chinese criminals. Um, sure. So, uh, but for now, uh, why is it that these major institutions, not to mention the government, keep getting hacked. What's going on there? Well, it's, it's, it's a bit of a complicated question. Uh, we could probably spend days talking about it. Uh, I think in brief summary, a couple factors have transpired over the years. First and foremost, I think you have to take into account the, the rise, uh, the advent of cryptocurrencies. Um, and that means that from a, a cyber perspective, uh, particularly with regards to ransomware, uh, cyber criminal elements can get paid and they can get paid in ways that are very difficult to, to follow the, the money trail. And so they, five cyber criminals have been able to monetize cyber crime. And then the payment method is you know, cryptocurrencies and that's made it very effective and very profitable. Uh, also, uh, cyber criminals, as we said, um, have understood that the data theft 
either taking data from an organization and selling it to perpetuate you know, financial or identity theft uh, and, and the monetization of that, or simply denying an organization access to its data so that it can't run its business operations. It's losing money on a daily basis. Um, they've utilized both of those methods uh, in order to in order to make money and they've done it they've done it very very effectively um we used to see very very long dwell times for cyber incidences i think now those dwell times have diminished because cyber actors dwell are times. their crimes arguably on a friday once the it staff has kind of gone home they, they they perpetrated over the weekend people come in on a monday morning but they find that they've been hacked uh they have a ransom note they expect payment and payment can be issued uh, relatively quickly, and then you know they they move on and go to the next. Thing. So it's, it, they just they they've just really monetized this, and it's and it's a cyclical process. And so that's the cyber crime piece. Uh, to your point as to why does this keep happening? Well, digitization, automation, information technology—it's pervasive in everything that we do anymore. Um, and so the, it, the the target audience is just is just ripe with with IT systems. Uh, that are expansive, that oftentimes don't get patched, but also with human beings. I mean, let's face it, uh, most of these cyber attacks are perpetrated because people are able to utilize social engineering tactics to compromise credentials, which is the first way in. And then from there, it's just a matter of kind of running the table on the organization. In the movies, when there's a ransom paid, blackmail paid, the cops mark the bills somehow, and uh, that that way the money can be traced. So... Are you saying that there's no way to track digital payments, shakedown payments to these uh, criminals? Is that it? Well, I wouldn't say that there's no way. And I think the FBI actually has a history of being able to track down some of these payments. And, you know, they, they, from time to time, they've been able to recover some of these ransomware or ransomware payments. Uh, certainly, I'm, I'm not an expert in the forensics of financial crime. But I do understand that it's 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 very difficult. Uh, oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the financial transactions, uh, the financial transactions go through multiple different multiple different entities uh, before they end up uh, w- with the end recipient. So I believe it's just it, I believe it's a it's it's a much more difficult forensics trail to follow. Uh, and obviously, you know, the FBI just has some limited resources. Uh, so the the amount of cyber crime being perpetrated is probably arguably more than than, than the bureau can can certainly handle in in, in any one given moment. Is it true to say that uh, the reason these hackers find it so easy to get into our systems is because of human carelessness or um, or mistakes? Because someone clicks on a link sent to them in e- by email and they're fooled into thinking it's real. And so no matter what defenses that MGM and so on or let's say the State Department, the Commerce Department, uh, Gina Raimondo, <laughs> the Commerce Secretary just went off to e- Even though all these defenses are erected, people still will can be fooled into clicking on an email link that opens up the doors to the hackers. Is that the situation we're in? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And I think, uh, you know, I, I did a presentation a, a few months back and, and I referenced an IDC report and the IDC report showed that in, in 2022, uh, effectively a third of all cyber attacks were uh, enabled through some type of email compromise. And then fully a half of all those attacks uh, were some were enabled through some some way of credential stealing. So yeah, it's 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 at the end of the day, uh, the cyber defensive team needs to be 100% accurate 
every single day. And that not only accounts for the systems that they're trying to protect, but that accounts for the user behavior for every single user that, that uses those IT systems uh, in an organization. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really tall order. So there's no way really to prevent these continuing attacks because people, I'm not going to say people are stupid. Uh, I clicked on one last summer and I'm really vigilant about this stuff. Um, But let me uh, go to the government again, Uh, government intrusions. Uh, How do you, uh, the CIA, you know, insider threats are also a big problem. The CIA suffered an insider threat in which a lot of its tools were, were stolen, according to numerous news reports. Um, how, how do you repair, uh, you know, your house has been wrecked by a burglar. How do you repair that? How did you repair that at CIA? Well, I, I can't go into the specifics of the, of the CIA incident. I, I can certainly talk uh, generically about, uh, you know, the, the insider threat piece, which, you know, certainly it, it's, it, it's, it's credible. Um, more so than the insider threat, though, I think the, 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 the piece that you, you, you touched on initially was um, this Cybercrime and cyber attacks are, are, are really enabled by getting the right types of credentials. And so whether you're a nefarious insider or whether you're a cyber actor and you just have access to elevated privileges, that's that's where the cybercrime perpetrates itself. And, and it's organizations that have elevated credentials, privileges of system administrators or network administrators. And then when you have those privileges, you're allowed to go anywhere and do anything. That's that's where the problem occurs, and and you've seen in the news recently. It's been you know it's been pop- talked about extensively this zero trust architecture, and really what that talks about is just because you have a credential does not mean that you're not going to be challenged for access to resources repetitively, continuously, and I think enabling those types of controls helps to limit what those cyber actors, whether they're nefarious insiders or, or external cyber criminal gangs, it, it limits what they're able to do because they're bounded They're bounded in where they can go and what they can do. Almost like a, you know, watertight compartments on ships. Like if one compartment is compromised, the rest of the ship isn't compromised because the damage is contained. Well, let's talk about that incident with the Air Force, uh, National Guard, Air Force uh, Guardsmen uh, on Cape Cod who got access to all the top secret uh, uh, Pentagon documents, uh, particularly related to Ukraine and more, more damaging. Um, what's, a, what's a lesson learned from that? Well, again, it gets it gets back to need to know and making sure that uh, the individuals and the credentials they present uh, are used to give them access to information that they that they readily should have access and, to. And he had access. Uh, why did he have access to all this ultra sensitive material? Yeah, again, again, I can't, I can't go into the specifics. I will say that you know the the intelligence community has for a long time uh, wrestled with need to know and need to share. And obviously, you know, information is is only good if you have parties that can work with that information, manipulate it, that information, make sense of that information, make decisions on that information. So there's a need to share. Um, there's a need to, sh- to share that information responsibly and understand and control who is reviewing it, who is accessing that data. Uh, I think in, in this particular place, you know, clearly that's that, that's where this broke down. Yeah, he was an airman first class. I mean, wh- what is he doing having access to this? It seems to me, I, I am not a techie, <laughs> obviously. It seems to me, there seems to be, a, if, if he's a, a clerk, let's say, and passing along stuff, 
Um, he need not have access to the meat of the reports. Just <laughs> am I on the right track here? No, you're, you're, you're spot on. And again, this is, this has been the, the ongoing conversation is, you know, there, there are people that, there are people that obviously need to know the intimate details and then make sense of those and do something with it. And, and those people should have access. And then there potentially is a whole group of people that are just, they're just transient participants in it. And they really don't have a need to know. Uh, and you can do one of two things, right? You can either, you know, try to restrict access so that they don't have access to the meat of the material. And secondarily, you can also audit who is accessing that material. And when you see things like like access decisions that look like they're abnormal from potentially an airman sitting in an National Guard base, you know, that that should trigger somebody saying, hey, wait a minute, this 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 isn't normal. Why is this person doing this? Well, according to news reports, he was enabled by his commanders. I mean, something was really wrong on Cape Cod. Um, let me ask you about uh, an old topic here, the Chinese uh, infiltration of the OMB files. The, <laughs> the, that's the personnel office, you might say, for the entire federal government. Have you seen uh, any effect where Chinese intelligence has been using that material to reach out to uh, officials uh, who have secrets uh, uh, or, you know, lower ranking people who have secrets? Making approaches to them using that personal information. Yeah, the, Jeff, that's a it's a good question. I think there's a lot of questions as to what the Chinese did with that material. I, I would argue that the Chinese, for a long period of time, just based on the size of their intelligence service and the apparatus, have really been just vacuuming up vast amounts of data. Um, potentially, you know, but potentially they will accumulate that data and over time make inferences, do link analysis, try to put the pieces together uh, for, for future operations. I don't know that I don't know that any action immediately was taken based on that information. What I can tell you is we saw uh, kind of in, in the MGM case, um, the Chinese are all over social media and, and they understand and are looking for people that you know they may be able to manipulate and getting them information about certain topics that are of interest to them. So they're they're all over they're all over social media. They are putting together the pieces of of who works where, what affiliations those individuals have, what types of access to information those people may have. Um, and based on that, then they, they run targeted mm -hmm. campaigns against those individuals. But, but do you know of reporting, uh, you know, of reports uh, or, you know, gossip you've heard, rumors you've heard, or whether it's that, that some official, some mid-level official reported to FBI or CIA or whomever saying, you know, this Chinese businessman just contact, contacted me out of the blue or contacted my wife or, or children or, or whatever. And I don't know this guy. He makes a business proposal to me. I suspect this is a Chinese espionage ploy. Uh, have you heard reports like that coming in? I mean, I, I haven't had, I had, I don't have firsthand knowledge of that, but certainly, you know, anecdotally, uh, I have to believe that that, that happens quite often. Uh, and certainly, mm. you know, uh, the FBI from, from a counterintelligence perspective certainly gets involved in those types of activities. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and not to stay on this forever, but you you believe it it's, it could happen. But do you, do you know of it happening that people are saying, my God, I've been contacted out of the blue by someone who I think is Chinese uh, intelligence? I mean, I, I only know about it through the press reports when it comes out after the after the case was was shared.
Have you found political groups? You know, we've seen, you know, we have the rise of this uh, extremism, right-wing extremism in this country and, and actually globally. We've seen it in, in Europe as well. Do you know if right-wing extremist groups have begun to engage in cyber war? I don't know. I have I have not seen any reporting or any instances where where uh, right-wing extremist groups are are, are engaged in in cyber crime or cyber espionage. No, I, I haven't seen that. What I what I would say, kind of related to, to this topic is, again, going back to influence campaigns and, and uh, impacts on social media, um, people do need to be aware that, you know, foreign intelligence services of, of, of non-friendly nation states uh, are involved in running inf influence campaigns against social media. And so they are picking out targets. Uh, they are poisoning social media with with uh, with fake narratives, and they are in tr they are trying to create um, conflict uh, within our own civil society, trying to diminish the the authority uh, and the integrity of institutions that we should we should trust to have a functioning society. That's 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 not all uh, generated solely by right wing uh, extremist groups. A lot of that information, disinformation, is fostered by by foreign intelligence services who are trying to use that to to create a wedge. Sure, we saw that. Do you have you seen evidence that that hackers, foreign hackers, whether they were uh, criminals or you know we know that they're government hackers uh, uh, of our uh, enemies, they've whether they've used stolen material to proliferate it on uh, social media. I mean, we saw that with the WikiLeaks uh, mm -hmm. leaks back in 2015, 16. Um, what about ongoing? Well, I think I think uh, ongoing. I think it was maybe two or th maybe about maybe a month ago where Facebook reported that they took down a number of different uh, purportedly Chinese uh, intelligence service activities uh, that were propagating false narratives across across Facebook. And so this this continues to go on. Um, and we see it all the time. Uh, you know, Microsoft announces the fact that they take down a number of different or highlighted a number of different. Uh, forward intelligence influence campaigns across social media sites as well. Um, so th this this is going to continuously perpetuate itself. I mean, we, you know, I think a lot of times the, the 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 social networking sites that we we participate in, um, oftentimes are you know they're they're kind of echo chambers, and so uh, we we don't seek out alternative viewpoints. We don't try to engage with people from from different perspectives. We're very happy consuming information that meets our own our own worldview and mindset and foreign intelligence services know this and, and they can exploit that. That's, that's a weakness. It's a known weakness and that's what they try to exploit. Hmm. Now, uh, we know about most of the hacks. I assume maybe all of them that have been perpetuated here by foreign actors, uh, or criminals and or criminals or both, uh, because of the nature of our open society. Uh, I can, can I assume that we or other our allies have gotten into the pants of the Russians and the Chinese, uh, uh, their entities, their banks, their uh, financial networks, uh, political networks, and so on. But they're not going to publicize it because they're closed societies. I think it's fair to say that uh, you know we, along with uh, many of our allied uh, counterparts, have very capable cybersecurity. Uh, Capabilities, uh, and certainly, you know, we're we're going to be doing our part to make sure that you know we're 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 keeping up with our adversaries. 
Um, I think that you have seen uh, from time to time reports coming out of Russia, most most notably since the, the the Ukraine war has been ongoing of of certain certain sites and certain institutions that have been integrated by cyber activity. So uh, every now and again, you you do see that uh, from time to time. But you're right; they are they are closed society. I don't think you're going to see that as as publicized. They're not going to make that as well known even within their own amongst their own their own population. This is sort of in the in the in the uh, area of Mad Magazine with spy versus spy. I mean, we do it to each other. Um, we're inside their infrastructure, their financial institutions, and it's tit for tat. Uh, it doesn't matter who started it. Uh, this is the ongoing silent war, so to speak, that's going on every day. We're we're carousing around inside. Uh, I think Americans would would be happy to know that we're uh, barging into the MSS, the Chinese Intelligence Service, or the People's Liberation Army, and we're reading some general's email today. Uh, I, I think Americans would applaud that, don't you? Uh, I think I think Americans would be very happy to 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 know exactly that that yeah that we that we uh we have a, a very capable uh, cyber capability and that we're using it to you know protect our national interests uh, and and where possible, you know, degrade the capabilities of our adversaries. Now, you ran CIA technical services. I want to ask you more about that job. But from your perch as the chief of technical services at CIA, uh, are you looking down and this is sort of like if you walk through the cyber offices of CIA or anywhere else for that matter, it's sort of a video game war going on between the Chinese, Americans, the Russians, uh, North Koreans and the Iranians. And they're going bang, bang, zoom, you know, have sound effects on their computers and so on, knocking out bad guys. Is that what it looks like to you? Uh, I, I wouldn't say no. I don't think the the, the, the visual perspective that, that, that you have highlighted it, it's not there. It's you know it's uh, uh, it's a lot more uh, a lot more subdued. You know it's it's uh, it's people behind keyboards. Um, you know you know doing what they do best. Uh, it, it's it's not as it's not as uh, I guess glamorous or, or as flashy as uh, as as the media would portray in, in movies or TV shows. Well, in the Vault 7 case, uh, the, the stealth of uh, CIA uh, cyber tools by an insider, uh, uh, the description of that, and I'm thinking of one article in particular in The New Yorker, which it sounded like a bunch of kids having a great time, you know, uh, engaging in warfare with their adversaries. And it was a, it's, it's a different kind of office than you might find elsewhere at CIA, right? These are kids for the most part, young people. Uh, playing a game of wits with the Chinese, Russians, etc. I think uh, I think you know if you look at the if you look at the the lineage of uh, you know uh, cyber professionals, um, th there's a great deal of of art to this, much more so than kind of you know engineering. And so it it, it it's it's a it's in many ways, shape, or forms. It's it's a collaborative effort. Um, it, it's effort by trial and error. Uh, certainly, there are some known good principles and techniques, but oftentimes it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a bespoke game of, of trial and error. Um, and that does create a, a, a great sense of camaraderie and uh, that, that creates a, a great sense of, you know, uh, competitiveness as well amongst individual teammates. And so, um, you know, it's kind of the environment. It helps a lot, by the way, if a CIA officer recruits an agent, an, uh, 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 an official 
of a foreign government uh, and and gets them to inf- you know put something in the computer to infiltrate the, the network for us. So it's not just cyber; it's a spy inside a foreign uh, intelligence. That's a big leg up, isn't it? Uh, certainly, having assets on the ground is is absolutely a, a, a is a great capability. So, um, yeah, we we you know that certainly certainly helps the cause. Let's educate people on what the CIA's technical service office does. I mean, were you the guy in charge of bugs? Uh, no, uh, a little bit more mundane than that. We uh, we, we we were one of the offices that that ran. Uh, a large segment of the IT organization for for the agency. So you can, you know, think of all the things that allow the agency to function on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. For example? Uh, just for example, people, you know, logging in to, to, to their computers every single day, being able to, you know, uh, interact with parties around the intelligence community, uh, being able to make phone calls, uh, computer systems that, you know, operate, uh, being able to review imagery, intelligence products, those types of things. Hmm. So, uh, sort of to, to trail off toward the end here, where is this going? Is this more of the same for the foreseeable future? Uh, major government offices and banks and casinos, et cetera, even school systems hacked. There's not, not any way to really prevent that ever. Well, again, uh, I, I would argue if we, if we can, through a number of different mechanisms, uh, take the financial incentive out of cybercrime, then yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see cybercrime diminish. We'll see the hacks diminish. Let, let's separate out the, the hacks against uh, governmental organizations because that's more about understanding policy, understanding direction, understanding negotiations and that type of thing. Um, but if you take the hacks against school systems, uh, corporations, if it can be demonetized, then yeah, it would stop. So the question becomes, how do you demonetize it? I don't, I don't perpetuate that you have to have perfect security. That's not the answer. The answer is that your security has to be good enough so that it's harder, it, it's harder and more costly for the cyber criminal to get in and get any usable data out than the attack itself is actually even worth. And if you can change that dynamic, then yeah, I think that we can, we, we can see cyber crime diminish. Uh, unfortunately, we just we just haven't gotten to the point where we've been able to successfully change change that dynamic. Let me ask you about that. The metaphor it's often used is, well, we got to lock our doors. You know, it's just like in your neighborhood, uh, keep your your home doors locked, your garage doors locked. Um, that seems to be an oversimplification, as you're you're. I'm inferring inferring from what you just said. Uh, you said you got to raise the cost to uh, mm-hmm. an intruder. Uh, how yeah. do you raise the cost to an intruder? It, it, let, let's use your analogy, right? I mean, like if if, if you have a simple deadbolt on your door, uh, but you've got, you know, I don't know, uh, the crown jewels that are worth tens of millions of dollars inside your house just sitting on your dining room table, you know, I'm pretty sure the, the criminals are just going to use a battering ram to bust down the door and come in and grab the jewel. Like you, you need higher protections because you have more valuable things inside. I'd enjoy um, that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's and that's the same, I think, for, for corporate entities to understand is that they have data that is of value to the criminals and they actually need to make it more difficult for those criminals to get in. So what is and so we, we talked about this very early on, which is, you know, uh, once I have a credential, that doesn't mean that I should be able to go everywhere. Uh, but putting in place those bulwarks, putting in place those extra checks internally, that's 
oftentimes cumbersome and oftentimes costly. But I would argue the cost diminishes the the capabilities of the cyber criminal, the cyber actor. And so that that potentially will deter them from trying to attack your organization because they know that attacking your organization has has diminishing returns. It's too hard. They don't get enough out of it. Well, boy, that's complicated. So you're now in the private sector with a company called Rubric. Uh, are you sort of a, a fireman on call when there's a uh, an intrusion? What do you do? So I'm the chief information security officer for Rubric. And so uh, I have three roles really internally. Uh, first is to oversee the, the governance, uh, compliance, and, and reporting organization. So, you know, that's we have a number of different uh, certifications and making sure that we maintain those and that those are applicable in our product. The second piece is securing our product. So obviously we're a software company. And so I have a team of people that works to ensure that the software that we develop uh, is free of defects, cybersecurity holes, bugs, that the architecture is sound, that it incorporates zero trust principles, so on and so forth. So that's the second piece. And the third piece is just ensuring that the IT systems that we use to run and operate the business, uh, that those are secure, uh, that we have uh, effective countermeasures for, for cyber attacks against those, that we have a cyber operations security center that's looking for signs of intrusion, that we can respond to those types of things. So that's kind of the, the, the multifaceted role that I have at, at the company. How many times, Mike, have you just, do you have a dent on your forehead from slapping it with stupidity on the part of user's ends, you know, clicking on bad links and so on that opens the door to an intruder? Do you, do you keep seeing, I mean, how many times do you slap your forehead a week? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, there's, there's a number of times when I ask myself, why would anybody think that that was a good idea to do that? Um, like, that, that that's, that's like to click on a, are you talking about clicking on a, a, a suspicious link now? Uh, clicking on a suspicious link, I, you know, it, it, it amazes me sometimes that people do believe that they actually did get a hundred dollar gift card from Home Depot for just like, you know, no reason other than just Home Depot wants to give you a hundred dollar gift card. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that, that's generally surprising. Um, but, but realistically, uh, you, you know, um, I have to be pragmatic. You know, uh, from a cybersecurity perspective, we see a lot of bad behavior all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So so we're used to it. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, people don't see that. So they don't, they don't understand the threats. And so a large part of our job is just helping uh, our employees understand what the threats are and why somebody would actually target them. Like they, they just, they just, they just, when they understand why they may be a target and what the threats are, they're, they're generally great. They, they get it uh, and they're able to modify their behavior. So a large part of, part, part of this is really just educating people as to, as to why they would be a target and why they should be vigilant. Mm-hmm. But you're never going to get into a zero intrusion uh, uh, era because people are going to be stupid still. There, there will, there will always invariably be that, 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 that one person. That's, that's, that, that's the case. And that's the way it is. So, Mike, thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, you've got a very busy schedule, as, as someone might infer from this conversation. So, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us. It's very valuable. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. It's been a great conversation. And that's it for this week's Spy Talk. Be sure to check out our complete podcast archive at the MSW Network or on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, please check out the Spy Talk news site on Substack, where I and our 
deeply experienced contributing writers offer a steady diet of intelligent scoops and original analyses. Just Google Spy Talk and you'll find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast, like all the others, was smoothly produced by Kanai at MSW Media with expert editing from Molly Hockey. Thank you, guys. Oh, and by the way, that music you've been hearing, that's the score for Black Hat, the 2015 cyber action thriller composed by the prolific British composer and conductor Harry Gregson Williams. So that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Stein. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.